I uh, started the series, uh, we're calling Let's Say Gay, right? It's, it's the, the twist on the Don't Say Gay bill, right? This idea, even that permeated the church long before the bill in, uh, in Florida last year. Uh, but this idea that like gay and homosexuality, even sex is something that shouldn't be talked about in the church. But really, it's like the place it should be talked about. And the reason why uh, I think the government is taking the initiative to educate everyone on sex because really the church has been silent on the issue, which I believe is a strategy of Satan. But we're saying, you know what, this is stuff that needs to be talked about in the church because the Bible has a lot to say about it. And so uh, uh, we, we started off last week talking about truth. We'll get into that in just a second to, to recap it if you weren't here. But uh, we said because this is a sensitive topic and, um, you know, this can just cause a lot of drama, if you will, um, and because of the, the need for offense, uh, not the need for, but to protect against, uh, protect against offense, we said we need to establish three ground rules coming into this, right? Because Satan, we said he's going to try to do everything possible to get you offended at me, at a leader, at the Bible, at God, and as soon as you get offended, your ability to receive now gets completely cut off. So we, we want to keep an open heart. And so three, three ground rules. We said, give me a clean plate. Me as in Josiah, a clean plate. So the idea is don't bring any church hurt into this, you know, into this conversation, right? Just like give me a clean slate. Um, I understand that the homosexual community, the LGBT community has been uh, ostracized, or however the word is, by, by the church. But, you know, Jesus, he speaks truth in love. And so that's what we're trying to do. Uh, so give me a clean plate. Give me grace uh, in the sense that, this is point number two, give me grace in the sense that we're not picking on gay people. It's like, well, you're doing an entire series on gay people. Okay, well, we do entire series on lots of things, right? We just came out of a series on emotions. So this isn't picking on gay people by any means. We're just really recognizing this is an important topic um, and, and we want to talk about it. <clears throat> also, the third one is just give me patience um, because I can't possibly answer all of like the questions about the LGBT stuff and what the Bible has to say in one message. Like there's just so much. We're going to have six messages total. We already got one down and then we're going to have a Q&A where we can hit just a bunch of like shotgun points um, at the end of the end of the series. So um, Satan will, will We'll use it in the sense of like, well, he hasn't said anything about Jesus. He hasn't said anything about this. He hasn't said, and we'll try to use that to like discredit what I'm saying. The reality is we just have to take this like one step at a time. So that's why we, we handed out when you walked in, we handed out sermon notes. Uh, there was a mistake on those. It's actually week two, not week one. Um, and so if you have like things that you're thinking, questions that you want to ask, thoughts, write them down and keep track of these papers that we give you every single week or keep track of your notes because at the very end of the series, we'll have a Q&A where you can ask whatever question you will and we will try our best to answer it. <clears throat> so with that being said, last week we, we started with this idea of truth, that, that there is something called truth, right? There is for lack of better words, right and wrong. As we read out of the, the, the scripture in Isaiah, it says, what sorrow for those who call good evil and evil good, right? That was the scripture. And so the basic idea is 
someone is calling something good when it's really evil or evil when it's really good, so they're, they're confused, right? You can get things backwards. Uh, we, we also reference 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, verse 9, and if you read it in, in the, the, the NIV translation, the New International Version, it says this. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, and, and then it goes on to, to list homosexuality as a sin. So this is an area that you can be deceived in, right? That we, not you, we as people can be deceived in. And so this, this is, if there's a possibility to be deceived, if there's a possibility to be confused or to get things backwards, then that means there's a way that things ought to be, right? That there is truth. Uh, and we said, uh, we, you know, we showed you the scripture where Jesus, he, he is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. And uh, there, there, so that means there isn't my truth. There, there aren't, because there's a lot of voices out there, right? Um, there's a, a lot of uh, you know, philosophies and religions and traditions and ideologies and political stances. I mean, there's a lot of voices out there. Um, including our own and our own opinions and what we like to think about things. But at the end of the day, it's not what I want. It's, it's really just comes down to what's true, right? What's true? Uh, and that's why I, I want to know what's true. And if Jesus is truth, then that means our response is we've just got to submit to what he says, right? To what the word of God says. Jesus is the word. And so... Um, and so, you know, it's not my rights. It's not, I have a right to this. No, 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 it's, it's what, what Jesus says. That, that's, that's all that matters, what Jesus says. And this is in every area of our lives. It's, it's not, we're not just picking on homosexuality in this sense. It does include homosexuality and what God has to say about that and, and about the LGBT issues. But it also comes down to what, what God's plan is for my life. It's not what I want, it's what God wants for me. It's, it's also who I'm going to marry. It's not, what, it's not who I want to marry. It's who God wants me to marry because the Bible says that, that God uh, speaks to the, even the, the details of our lives. And so uh, we have this idea of truth that we have to submit to. We have to submit to this idea of truth. Now, tonight, we're going to be continuing this series, uh, and I want to give a couple disclaimers. So first... I'm going to be going fast. Okay, I'm going to probably be talking fast. I'm going to be running through scriptures fast because I have a lot that I want to cover. I've, we've already taken the liberty to help you out a little bit. So if you go to our Instagram page, uh, it's at Aspire Youth. You can click on our story and there's a list of the three main scriptures that we're going to be referring to tonight. And all of the scriptures that we're going to be referring to this evening. So if you're like, what scripture did you say? I missed it. I missed it. Okay, well, it's on our Instagram story. So you can find that uh, at Aspire Youth. Go to our story. That's the list of all the scriptures you're going to be referring to. Um, also, uh, you know, I, I want just to, to get out there that um, this is not all inclusive, right? That there's more to the story and we're going to be picking back up on it uh, next week and the following week. So just remember to write down any questions and things that you have. So before we get into it, uh, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we love you. 
Lord, we pray that um, as we get into your word tonight, your word is truth. Uh, God, we pray that uh, whatever resistance we might have to it, whatever offenses we may have to it, God, we pray that you would soften our hearts so that we could receive what it is that you have to say. God, we love you. We just want to hear your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, what I thought we could start off talking about tonight is how to be a good liar. How to be a good liar. So, I'll give you a hint. The way to have really good lies, you can note my pastor told me this, okay, um, is you want to you make it as close to the truth as possible while still maintaining the lie, okay? A good lie it's one that gets as close to the truth as possible while still maintaining the lie. Now, the chances are you've, you probably already know this. Uh, maybe you didn't have it pieced or worded together that way. But uh, you've probably experimented with this in your life. So the classic example is you convince your little sibling, let's say your little brother, uh, to steal a cookie out of the cookie jar. So your ingenious plan is, I'm not the one doing it. My brother's the one doing it. So then whenever my mom comes and it's like, hey, who took cookies out of the cookie jar? You're like, oh, it wasn't me. It was him, right? Uh, even, though, even though you know that you're the one that uh, influenced him, or pressured him, implanted the idea in his little brain that he should get it. Perhaps you even told him, hey, that chair will probably help you the best if you, uh, in order to get the cookies. And so, you know, it's this idea that, okay, I didn't do it, but I did, right? So it's, 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 a, it's a lie. It's, it gets as close to the truth as possible while still maintaining a lie. And uh, maybe it, it, it's, it's confusing. Maybe it's hard to tell uh, whether something is true or not. But the bottom line is you're still maintaining the lie and preventing them from actually seeing what the real truth is. Well, this is how Satan functions. This is how Satan works. And the Bible, the Bible actually calls Satan a liar. So um, in, in John chapter 8, it says he's a liar and even the father of lies. In John 8, verse 44, it says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He's not talking to you. This is Jesus talking. He's not talking to you. He's talking to Pharisees. So you can like, whew, my God, I don't belong to the devil. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he, when he, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says how Satan, he, he says he himself masquerades as an angel of light. Masquerades means he pretends to come as an angel of light, pretends to come as something good when really he's got something bad or evil in mind, right? So Satan, he operates this way. He, he tries to cloud the truth, confuse the truth. He, he lies in such a way where he gets as close to the truth as possible while still maintaining the lie, which makes it then very believable and very 
very easy to fall for. And I believe this is what Satan has done uh, to the LGBTQ community uh, in the sense of love is love. Right? That's a phrase that I'm sure you've heard before. Love is love. Now, I, I would think this is, as the Bible says in, in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that, that really what's happening here is this is a doctrine taught by devils. Uh, because these ideologies, there's a lot more happening in the world than just what we can see. Right? The, the, the different ideologies and politics and things, there's... The Bible says that there's forces in the unseen world. So ideas don't just come from people's brains. They're influenced um, by either the Lord or by satanic influences. And so I believe that this is one of them that, that, that Satan has, has uh, injected into the LGBT community because it's, it's close. Love is, love is love. Love is love is close. It's, it's close to the truth, but it's, it's just not exactly truth. It's close because, because love is great. Lo love is awesome. We just had Valentine's Day. Anybody got any sweethearts? <laughs> okay, so, uh, right, we, you know, we love lots of things, right? Uh, here in West Virginia, we love our pepperoni rolls and our dogs, right? You know, I was thinking about this phrase that, that it says uh, dogs rule and cats drool. But I was like, wait a second, dogs are really the ones that drool. So it doesn't make sense. Let's just say dogs are awesome and cats suck, right? Uh, so just a joke. Now, every, every cat lover, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I love you, but cats are stupid. Okay. Um, so, so uh, right, so we love lots of things. We love people. We love we love, we, we, we love each other. We love our church, right? We love pepperoni rolls and pizza. We love lots of, we love lots of things, right? We love lots of things. Uh, but at the same time, just because something like makes you happy or someone, right? Something or someone makes you happy and it's enjoyable, right? Love is just this nice, desirable thing. Just because it's desirable or makes you happy doesn't mean that it's good. Right. Just because something's happy doesn't mean that it's good. Right. My, my, my daughters love it whenever I give them candy. Whenever I bring home candy or give them candy out of our pantry, they just they are so happy. But it doesn't mean that I should just give them candy for forever and never feed them food anymore. Right. Just because something uh, is, is pleasurable or desirable, even makes you happy, seems, seems enjoyable, just because it is that way does not mean that it's good. And this is what the Bible uh, refers to or uh, says in terms of homosexuality, that it's not good, but love, love is love. And this idea of homosexuality, it's not good. The Bible uses the word sinful, or displeases God. And so what, what I want to do tonight is I want to break down three main scriptures where we see this in the Bible. These are the three the most talked about yet controversial scriptures in the Bible whenever it comes to homosexuality. And so I'm going to break down three scriptures. Uh, I'm going to write some things on the whiteboard just as a reminder. Uh, you can see the, the scriptures in our Instagram. And so I'm going to break down these three scriptures and shed some light on, okay, 
what does the Bible say and how does it say it when it refers to homosexuality as a sin? And so the first scripture we're going to turn to is Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. I'm going to read the full passage in it's for a reason or most of the full passage, um, but it's for a reason. So Leviticus 18 it says, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I'm the Lord your God, so do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I'm taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must not obey uh, uh, sorry, you must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey all my decrees for I'm the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. You must never have sexual relations with a close relative, for I am the Lord. Do not violate your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. You must not have sexual relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with any of your father's wives, for this would violate your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister or half-sister, whether she is your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born into your household or someone else's. Do not have sexual relations with your granddaughter, whether she is your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, for this would violate, himself, violate yourself. Do not have sexual relations with your stepsister, the daughter of any of your father's wives, for she is your sister. Do not have... Sexual relations with your father's sister, for she is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister, for she is your mother's close relative. Do not violate your, your uncle, your father's brother, by having sexual relations with his wife, for she is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife, so you must not have sexual relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife, for this would violate your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter, and do not take her granddaughter, whether her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter, and have sexual relations with her. They are close relatives, and this would be a wicked act. While your wife is living, do not marry her sister and have sex, sexual relations with her, for they would be rivals. Do not have sexual relations with the woman during a period of men, uh, menstrual impurity. Do not defile yourself by having sexual intercourse with your neighbor's wife. Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Moloch, for you must not bring shame on the name of your God. I am the Lord." Uh, there's a lot that could be said about abortion there. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman, it is a detestable sin. A man must not defile himself by having sex with an animal, and a woman must not offer herself to a male animal, have inter intercourse with it. This is a perverse act. We'll just stop there. So, you, you know, uh, let me get my notes, because I'm going to be referring to my notes a lot. So, um, right, the idea of love is love, it, it celebrates the idea that you can just have a relationship with whoever you want, right? Uh, it, like what's wrong with a, if it's two loving adults in a consensual relationship, right? Uh, love is love. Um, because, right, there's a lot of blurry lines where it's like, well, you know, and pedophilia is starting to become a thing, but then just the community says, what's well, consensual, it's consensual. So, okay, what's wrong with consensual sex and love? Well, the Bible, it, it lists a lot of relationships that are sinful, right? We're not just picking on homosexuality. Homosexuality just happens to be one that is common today, right? But this, this, is, one, this is one of, of a bunch, I, I didn't count them, a bunch of, of, of sexual relationships that the Bible calls uh, sin. And if you look in verse 22, uh, in the New Living Trans Translation, it says it is a detestable sin. In some other translations, it uses, it uses the, the words 
excuse me, I lost my place, it uses the words abomination or it just says this is detestable. And the idea is basically that this is something that God hates. Now, mind you, a lot of people like the Southern, what is it, the Baptist Borough, whoever they are, right? They're like, they say things like God hates fags, right? Um, we're just going to get a lot of words out right now, right? Sex, penis, vagina, okay, fags, okay, all these, okay, you can laugh, okay. Um, so, but it's like, okay, that's not what God is saying here. God isn't saying all these people are the worst and I want to send all of them to hell. No, Jesus died for all people. Um, there's the phrase, and I hate just repeating corny phrases, but like uh, love the sin or hate the sin. It, but it is true, right? It's the act itself that, that is sinful, not, not the people that God hates. It's the act itself that God hates, not, not the people that God hates. Otherwise, God would have never sent Jesus because everybody's screwed because everybody was a sinner before until he gets saved, right? So, um, so <clears throat> uh, it's, it's, this is something that God hates. It is a sin. It's the idea that homosexuality displeases God. Now, one of the main contradictions to, to this passage of Scripture in particular they say it with others, but in this passage of scripture in particular, most of the time they say that we are just picking and choosing, that Christians are just picking and choosing what we want out of the Bible. We're just picking and choosing this verse and we're leaving out all the other ones. And they'll say things like, well, you're eating pork now. And they'll say things, well, you're not, you're not, you're not, oh, abiding by the, the rules of celebrating the different festivals and all these different things. Um, and we'll refer to one here in just a minute out of Leviticus chapter 11. Um, and when people say things like that, it just, it, just goes to under, it just goes to show that what they don't understand is that there's ways to interpret the Bible. There's a whole a set of, of, there's a whole theological principle dedicated to this called hermeneutics, which is the proper interpretation of the Bible. And whenever you, whenever you take time to study the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible that we're reading here tonight, the, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, um, the first five books of the Bible, um, is that when it comes to the law of Moses specifically, there are three different kinds of laws um, in, in that you can find in Leviticus, but you can also find them in uh, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What the? Achievement at Christmas. Okay, so there's three. So there's three different types. There's three different types of law in the Old Testament. In in in, in the law of Moses, there's civil law. There's moral law. And then there is ceremonial law, C-R-E-M-O-N-I-A-L. Can everybody see that? Civil, moral, ceremonial. Civil law, civil law refers to uh, uh, legality and punishment. I'm sorry if I'm going fast, but told you, I warned you. Okay. Civil law refers to legality and punishment. This is what you'll find whenever you read this is, this is what you'll find, things that basically are, are like our present day laws. It was things that just govern the people of Israel as their governing set of rules. Like, what should you do if someone uh, punches somebody and accident? This is, this is an example out of Leviticus. If someone punches somebody and accidentally kills them, 
How should that be, how should that be handled? How should they how should they be punished, if at all? Right. So it's issues of legality and then punishment, like a, a right, like a judicial system. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to moral law in a second. Ceremonial law uh, was regarding things of uh, clean and unclean. Now, there's a lot more that can be said about all this stuff. I'm just trying to summarize, okay? Uh, so clean and unclean. It, it, it involved all the different festivals and ceremonies that uh, the Jews had to follow in order to be clean or to get rid of their uncleanness. And all of this was in response to the moral law. So uh, whenever people are saying, well, we're just picking and choosing different texts and what we want to read, um, the, the, what, what they're confused about is, is, is that it's either a civil law or a ceremonial law. Uh, uh, sorry, let me just read the passage in, in Leviticus chapter 11. I forgot that I wanted to read that. So... Leviticus chapter 11, is an example, verses 9 through 12, it says, of, of all the marine animals, these are the ones you may use for food. You may eat anything from the water if it has both fins and scales, whether taken from salt water or from streams, but you must never eat from uh, from animals from the sea or rivers that do not have both fins and scales. This would be things like crustaceans, like crabs and lobsters, right? Um, they are detestable to you. This applies to both uh, the little creatures that live in shallow water and to all the creatures that live in deep water. They will always be detestable to you. You must never eat their meat or even touch their dead bodies. Any marine animal that does not have both fins and scales is detestable to you. So that passage, and many like it, are referring to ceremonial laws. Uh, you can even look at the subtitle of that particular passage in Romans 11. It is talking about ceremonial laws. And all of these were done away with, uh, with Jesus whenever he died on the cross. He was the fulfillment of ceremonial laws. That why we, that's why we're no longer sacrificing animals and goats and doves and things like that and having to bring spices as offerings and things like that because uh, this was all fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Everything was a shadow of of, of Jesus Christ. So look with me at Colossians. Colossians chapter two. It says, Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. So, um, the, you know, everything that people end up getting confused about ends up being a civil law or a ceremonial law. But the passage in, in Leviticus chapter 18 is discussing moral law. And this was matters of, of righteousness, righteous, I'll just put right, and, and sin. So it was a matter of whether or not someone was holy or unholy, whether or not someone was sinful or not sinful. And this, this transcends covenants. This moral law was before, you can read in Romans, it talks about this. Moral law was before uh, the ceremonial law and moral law is after the ceremonial law. Moral law transcends all covenants. And this is whether something is sinful or not sinful, whether this is something that pleases God or does not, or does not please God.
And um, a, good, a good rule of thumb that you can have for, okay, when I'm reading the Old Testament, how do I know what it is? How do I know if this is civil law, moral law, or ceremonial law, right? Like Leviticus 18, uh, right? So you can read, and a lot of the subtitles will give you the context of what it's about. But, uh, and that's what you're saying, this is about sin. Homosexuality is about sin, not ceremonial law. Um, a good rule of thumb is if it's repeated in the New Testament. So you should write that down. If something in the Old Testament is repeated in the New Testament, then that, that it probably indicates it's, it's still for us today. And so from that, we're going to uh, jump to now the New Testament and discuss Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Everybody good? I know I'm going fast, but there's a lot. Romans chapter one. I got to cover all this tonight because we're going to talk about other things in other parts of the, of, the, of the series. So Romans chapter one, starting in verse 18. It says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Uh, Though everything God made, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ways of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shame Shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, <clears throat> they, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and created, I'm sorry, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them over to shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do do things that this should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do things must who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So uh, that's a lot. We're going to break this down. Uh, so the first thing that I just want to pull, pull out of this is in verses 18 and 25, it talks about the suppression of truth, right? Uh, but God shows us anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then again in verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And, and what, you know, what happens is you'll have the truth about God and, and it'll, it wants something from you. It, it demands something from you. We talked about that last week that you have to submit to it. That if, if God is truth, if there's truth, I have to submit to it. The problem is God's truth 
It requires sacrifice. It requires that we sacrifice ourselves. The Bible literally calls us in Romans 12, it says that we're a living sacrifice. Now, sacrifice was something that, that the people of this time would understand a little bit more because it meant taking an animal to go and be killed. But Romans says that we are a living sacrifice. So the idea is that we are literally giving ourselves up over to be killed. We are walking to the altar. We are laying down on the altar of God and saying, God, I, you can kill me in a metaphorical spiritual sense. I'm dying to myself and now living for you. But you're, that means you're on your, when you encounter truth, you're on your way to die. That's a tough concept for people to grasp. That's a tough reality for people to accept that I'm gonna have to die, right? And so in, in, because that's such a, a tough thing to wrestle with that the ways that they want to live are gonna have to be dead, right? People suppress the truth. So you see suppression of truth in this. Uh, and then specifically looking at homosexuality, you can see in verses 20, 26 and 27 is where it mentions it. And it talks about uh, the, the practice of homosexuality. Uh, and the women turn against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge with sex with each other and says the same thing about men, that it's this act of, of, of sex, of homosexual sex that is apparently sinful. Um, but the NLT is, is what they call like a dynamic equivalence translation. I'm sorry, I'm saying some really big words, but I have to go fast. And it means that there's two, two ways that your Bible can be. It can be really, really literal, or it can be a, a paraphrase translation. And the NLT is right in the middle. And so one thing that you'll miss, and it picks up the general sense of what the passage is saying, and it's excuse me, it's fine to read those. Uh, but in order to get a deeper sense of what God is saying, oftentimes you have to look at the, the more literal scriptures. And when you study uh, the, the literal language that's being used here, it's not actually just referring to the act of homosexuality. It's referring to the relationship of homosexuals, the relationship of a man with a man in a relationship of a woman with a woman. And uh, a translation that picks up on this better is the, the New King James Version. And so if you look at verses 26 and 27 in the New King James, it says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So it, it, it says, uh, it says likewise, the, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman. You see, when you look in Genesis chapter two, how God designed things to be was that God designed men to be with the woman. God, God literally calls the woman the helpmeet. The woman specifically meant to meet his needs whenever uh, uh, there wasn't a suitable helper found for him. That the woman is designed by God to, to complement the man in a way that another man can't complement a man. The same, and it's, the reverse is the same, that a woman needs a man and it can't, cannot replace a, another woman with a man. It, God designed it to function that way. And so this is why uh, God is displeased with it and therefore calls it sin because this is not the way that God, that God designed things to be. Now, a common contradiction to uh, Romans chapter one is that this passage is actually talking about adultery, which is like worshiping idols, false idols, and not about homosexuality. Um, so for example, there's an article, uh, it, it, it reads like this. 
So it says, many conservative Christians condemn same-sex relations, especially among women, by quoting Paul's statement in Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. But this passage really condemns the ISIS cult practice in Rome during Paul's age. The animals mentioned in Romans 1 correspond to the animals the animal images of gods, particular in the Isis cult. The unnatural sex practiced by the women refers to the behavior of Isis priestesses, and the immoral men refer, are referred to castrated male priests, meaning they don't have junk. Uh, male priests in the Isis cult. Uh, love between two free adult people, love between two free adult people in love is not condemned here by Paul. So he's, he's this, 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 and this is a scholarly article. This isn't like some random thing on, on Google. Um, so, uh, you know, the idea is that, and, and adultery is mentioned in the passage. And so they're saying, okay, contextually, he's really talking about adultery. But I, I want to show you that that's, that's really a stretch and a complete deviation from what, from what Paul is saying. And so I have three responses to that. Uh, so first, uh, it, it refers to the context. So his argument that is is that he's talking specifically to the Romans about how the Roman ISIS cult functions and how uh, there's castrated men and prostitute women that are having sex in these homosexual fashions. Um, but even though the letter... Romans is addressed to Romans. Paul in context isn't actually talking just to the Romans. He's talking in context in referring to in context to all of sinful humanity. And so if you look back at verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The idea isn't just that the Romans are sinful. The idea is that the Romans are just participating in acts that all of humanity can, has participated in. Because, you know, you can read about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, about how they were the first uh, people to participate in homosexuality in terms of what the Bible says. And so, um, and so, you know, the, the context is to the, to the Romans, but it really, it involves everybody. Second, um, is that even if, even if the context was, uh, okay, first of all, uh, let, let me back, go back to, to my first point, is that it's not just exclusive to the Romans or exclusive to just homosexuality because it then goes on to list other types of sins, right? In the New, New Living Translations, it says, um, it says, they became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, right? It's, this isn't just about homosexuality. This is about sin and homosexuality just, just so happens to be one of the things that falls under this label. <clears throat> um, so that's my first point. My second point is that even if the context were specifically to the Romans, the idea wasn't that that God was displeased because there were homosexual, homosexual acts in false temples. It wasn't that God was just upset that they were doing homosexual things before false gods. The idea was that they first turned away from God and then God gave them over to all of these depraved practices, including homosexuality. And so it first was A, they denied God, and then B, it, it, it wasn't both. First came A, then, then came B. Uh, and you'll see in, in this passage and in the next one that we'll read that both are separately condemned, idolatry and homosexuality. Bo both are separately condemned as, as sin. 
the third, the third thing is, is the idea about priestesses and, and castrated male priests. So the guy in his work, he, he references a lot of other historical um, books and articles and things uh, pointing to the ISIS cult and what they did and how it relates. Uh, but, but like it, he doesn't actually ever address whether or not the scripture in what Paul was expressly talking about, whether or not that involves priests and priestesses. And when you look at the, especially if you, whenever you need to know something and you look at the original languages, this is saying nothing about priestesses or, or castrated male priests. So male in, in Romans chapter one literally just refers to male. It doesn't refer to castrated males. There's no, not even a sense of that at all. And then also female isn't, isn't priestesses. There's no sense of even the word. It's quite literally just female. So, um, so uh, you know, Romans one, it makes it clear that homosexuality, not just the act that a, a person being doing a homosexual act, but it's the relationship of a, a man with a man or a woman with a woman that the Bible calls as sin. The last scripture that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6. We looked at this some last week, but there's, there's a lot, lot more here that, that we need to unpack. Everybody doing okay? I know this is a lot. I know. Just, just you're doing great. Just hang in there. Okay. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through eleven. <clears throat> Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So, uh, again, this scripture addresses the idea of homosexuality, right? It says uh, those who practice homosexuality. Now, this is the same deal with the New Living Translation as it was with Romans chapter 1, that this is a, a dynamic equivalence translation. And when you look at the original language, there's a lot more here than just practice homosexuality. Uh, it, it sheds a lot more light than that. The NLT uses one word homosexuality, but the original language uses two words. <clears throat> the Greek, this, is, this was um, obviously written in Greek. And so the Greek, I'm going to pull this over here. There's two Greek words that are used. Malakoi, I didn't study how to pronounce these, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Malakoi and, sorry, arsino. Uh, Malakoi and arsenicoidal, <laughs> uh, the Greek words, okay, Malakoi and arsenicoidal, <laughs> okay, so what, what the heck do these things mean? So make sure you understand, these are the two words that's used in this passage, okay, uh, this, this word right here, uh, it, it means, it literally means, Strong's Concordance says it's a person who is soft, delicate, or effeminate, so effeminate. 
E-F-F-E-M-I-N-A-T-E, effeminate, effeminate, or uh, it's also referred to as academite, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, actually, what I'm going to talk about right now. So a person, malakoi, it's someone who's soft, effeminate. Um, everybody understands the idea of effeminate, right? Like a, a man that's acting in a womanish way. Um, and the term catamite uh, is, is a, a very interesting word. So um, I, I read a book last year on Alexander the Great, and you'll find uh, the 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 idea of a catamite first rising during the time of Alexander the Great, or it was at least became really popular at that point in time. And it was, so this was in the Athenian Empire, the Macedonian Empire uh, in, in, in that time frame. And so a catamite was, it started out as a, a boy that was selected and made servant to a man, an older man, for the purposes of sexual pleasure. So he just followed this dude around and did whatever this older man wanted him to do. And whenever you look at the Athenian and Macedonian uh, cultures, their arts and sculptures actually reflect very uh, specific images of little boys being used in sexual ways to these older men, okay? Uh, so catamite. However, uh, what, what the book that I read um, went on to express that the term catamites, though it started out that way, it ended up becoming a, a, a derogatory term or a term used to insult men who acted effeminately. And so that's where the term effeminate come, came into play in, in terms of uh, linguistics. And so it, it really just means a, a, man, a man who is effeminate. Now that's extremely relevant because as you know, in, in most like homosexual relationships, there's, you know, let's, let's say a man-man relationship, there's typically a guy that acts more like a woman and typically a, a guy that acts more like a man. This is just fact. Everybody knows it. We're not condemning anybody. We're just talking about things. Everybody okay? Okay. So um, the same thing with, with lesbians. So there's one girl that acts more like a girl and one typically that acts more like, like a guy. And so this is really hitting on that idea, effeminate. Right, that God is really saying men who are acting effeminate, really that's sinful. The men men should act like men, not not women. Right, women should act like women, uh, not like men. And we'll talk more about that whenever we discuss transgenderism next week. Um, however, uh, effeminate and catamite, that is that is the first uh, the first word that's that's used there. The second word arsenicoidal, uh, it, it refers to I don't know how to say it. It refers to a male engaging in same gender sexual activity. So it's, it's just, this is more of what we, we think of homosexual. Same gender activity. I won't put sexual, but sex, sexual is applied. Um, and so the, the word here is also sodomite. Now, this is directly from Strong's Concordance, okay? So, sodomite. Now, if you're familiar with, the, with uh, Genesis and the Bible at all, this term probably sounds somewhat familiar to you. Uh, a sodomite is someone who practices in sodomy. Sodomy is someone who, would, who engaged in the same practices of those in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and so, if you're familiar with, with those passages, you know that that was one of the things uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah participated in uh, was homosexuality. And so sodomy referred to, um, for lack of better words, anal sex, okay? Uh, whenever you hear sodomy or sodomite, did you raise your hand? 
For oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, what are you, why are you raising your hand? Okay, so, uh, sodomite, okay. Now, so let's look, let's look quickly. Let's look quickly. <laughs> I was like, why are you, do you have a question about that? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to divulge anymore about anal sex, okay. Okay, so, uh, Genesis chapter 19. Let me see what time it is. Okay, Genesis chapter 19. Let me just talk about it. In Genesis chapter 19, what, what we have is a, is a story of, of, of Abraham and Lot. And, and basically what's happening is that God is about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And uh, Lot is one of the inhabitants of of, of Sodom and he's righteous. God sends angels to go and rescue Lot before the city is destroyed. Mind you, Lot has compromised in many different ways. Uh, so that at a point in the story, uh, angels come to Lot's house to get him and the men of the city surround uh, Lot's house and are saying, they say quite literally, bring the, the two men that are with you out so we can have sex with him. And Lot being as, even though he was righteous, he was still depraved in a lot of ways. Um, he said, okay, well, no, that, that would be terrible. Don't have sex with the men. Here's my two virgin daughters. So basically he just like lets or he tries to encourage, it doesn't happen, but he tries to encourage his, the, the men to rape his two daughters instead of having homosexual sex with the two angels. So um, uh, where, where the contradiction most often falls in this passage, can we get some music on, please? Where the, the contradiction most often falls in this passage is that people say, really, the context is just about rape. The context is just about rape. They want it to rape the men. They want it to rape the women. Um, but... When you actually look at it, first of all, number one, they were perfectly fine with the idea of raping another man. Second of all, they turned down wanting to rape the women. They didn't want to rape the women. They wanted to have sex with the men. Um, and you can also look in, in, in other passages in the Bible, Jude chapter one being one of them. <clears throat> It says this, and don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. So it says, so it says, and every kind of sexual perversion, every kind of sexual perversion. So of course, it doesn't expressly say homosexuality, but when we've gone through several of these other, other different texts that are saying homosexuality is listed as, as a sexual sin, then it's safe to include that what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah it included homosexuality as a sexual sin, right? Um, so, I know that this was a lot to take in, okay? Uh, especially if if you are in or adhere to or support like the LGBTQ community. This can be a lot to take in. Um, and as we said earlier, whenever you encounter truth, it, it, can, it can be very difficult to handle that um, and to weigh that against your worldview and how you've been living perhaps for, for years. Um, you know, most, most of the people in the room, 16, 17, 18 years old, um, you know, pe people now are, are thinking that they're homosexual at, in third grade, you know. Um, and so 
when you've been living that way for that long or been thinking along these lines or believe these concepts for that long, it, it, it can be very hard to like weigh these scriptures against your worldview and uh, can be, as, as the scripture said in Romans, like you just want to suppress it because it's just very, very uncomfortable. Um, but you know, I, I, believe that, I believe that you love the Lord uh, and that, that's why you're here tonight um, because you care about what God thinks. Uh, you wouldn't be here if you weren't concerned at all what God has to say uh, in general, let alone with homosexuality. And since my bet is that you love the Lord, um, then, then really what, what this should be tonight is, okay, this is an overwhelming amount of scriptural, textual evidence that says that, that homosexuality is a sin an overwhelming amount. Um, we're gonna look at more scriptures in the series. We're not done yet, but already this is an overwhelming amount. And I understand what it's like to be in that situation. Uh, several years ago, I, I was at a crossroads in the sense where I had first learned about biblical healing and prosperity. And I was appalled at the idea that God would want to heal everybody that he intends to heal everybody. And I was even more appalled at people like Joel Osteen that thought that God wants believers to be rich. I mean, I was just livid at the idea that, that God would want that, or that that could be something God wants because I thought it was a different way my whole life up until I was 25 years old. Um, and so I, I can sympathize with, with those in the LGBT community that are battling, okay, this, we have this evidence within what I believed, what, what, this evidence, but what I believed my whole life. Um, but if you love the Lord, then it just comes down to what we said in the last message. It's not what I want, it's what God wants. It, it, it's not how I want to live, it's just what's the truth. I wanna know what's true. Like, I just, like if, if somebody will show me in the Bible what the Bible says, you will convince me of anything. Even if I thought I've been wrong this whole time. I'm not partial to making homosexuality a sin. I don't care whether it is or not. I care what the Bible has to say, right? And so what that means for those in the LGBTQ community, it can be tough because then for you, which was different from me in terms of biblical healing and prosperity. For those in the LGBT community, the, the greater problem is Satan now has made this become a part of your identity. That this, this isn't just something you've believed, this is something that you think that you are. You are homosexual, you are bisexual, you are transgender, you are gay. He's, he's attached it to your identity. So now it's not just, oh, okay, I'm just changing my theological point of view. Now it's like, who I am is a lie, you know, it's just all this stuff. And like, you're not validating me as a person. We're not saying any of that. Um, every person is valuable. That's why Jesus died for everybody. Um, but what I would say to those who are saying, well, what am I supposed to do now? I, 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 I'm, I was born this way. I feel like I am this way for as long as I can remember I've been this way. Um, well, I, I have really good news for you. Really good news. It doesn't freaking matter. It doesn't matter how you were born because so many people can get caught up in this, whether or not people are born gay or not, you know, it doesn't matter for two reasons. Number one, the Bible says every person is born a sinner. But number two, the Bible says every person has to be born again. 
So if you were born gay, that's fine. Because in order for you to go to heaven anyways, you're gonna have to be born again. Look with me at, uh, at John chapter three. John chapter three, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I can assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. We have to be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says it like this. If any man isn't, let me read it in the New Living Translation. I like it better. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. You were born that way, that's fine because you have to be born again. Every person does, they have to die. This isn't some sort of natural thing that, that, we're, that, that we participate in. It's not just this thing where we come up and say a few prayers and recite a few weird things at the altar. It's, it's something spiritual that happens that whenever you give your life to God, as we said, it's a living sacrifice and you say, okay, God, I'm coming to the point in my life where it's no longer about me and what I want. And this is way greater than homosexuality, by the way. It's no longer about me and what I want. It's no longer about my life, but I lay my life down on the altar so that you can spiritually kill me and so that I can become a brand new person. Paul, he, he says it this way in Galatians chapter two, my old self has been crucified with Christ. See, I, the, old, the Saul, because Saul, his, First he was Saul, then became Paul. He said, my old self is dead, it's crucified. It was hung on the cross with Jesus, just as it is with every single one of us, because he died for all of our sins. My old self was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what happens is when you give Jesus your life, he comes and lives in you and gives you an ability to live in a way that pleases him. So you were born that way, that's fine. But when you get born again, you're not gonna be that way. When you get born again, there becomes a power in you to live in a different way. And we're gonna address temptation and things later because just because whenever you get saved doesn't mean you're not gonna face temptation anymore. That's still a thing. And that's, that's gonna be one entire message. But when you get saved, there's a power that enters on the inside of you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he empowers you to live in a way that pleases him. Empowers you. You're a new person, a brand new person. So what I'm gonna do tonight is I'm just gonna ask you for everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes. Tonight isn't just about homosexuality. It's not about homosexuality. Tonight is about dying to ourselves. Tonight is about dying to the ways we want things, whether it's homosexuality or a dating relationship or a marriage or where you're gonna to go to college for all the seniors in the room. It's not what we want. It's what Jesus wants. It's what the truth is. I don't care what I, I think. I wanna know the truth. That's what tonight's about.